Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, Ben Gulker and I talk about your 7-21 and 21 Detroit Pistons. We talk about Jaden Ivey's struggles since his return to the roster, Jalen Duran entering the starting lineup, very excited about that, and the Vets booing the Pistons offense through it all. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how's it going? Hey, Laz. Good to be back talking some bad basketball. <laughs> Hope you're all doing well. Yeah, we were doing good. They had like, is it, is it fine a fine week of basketball? So they, they had a fake blowout to the Grizz where they were losing by 20, like made a little comeback at the end when the Grizzlies no longer cared. That was Sunday. They won versus Miami. That's a win. That counts. We take those. We have a close loss to New Orleans and then we had another fake blowout loss to the Grizz again where they were down 20 until the fourth quarter and then the Grizzly League let them back in the game. So it's like, that's kind of the week that you always, that I always personally like hope for is like one win and like some some close a close loss, and like you expect like some blowout losses because they're a bad team. But interestingly, like they have won more games already than they did at this time last season. They are already a better team um, record wise than they were last season. It took them thirty five games last year, Ben, to win uh, seven games, and wow. this year they're seven and twenty one, so twenty eight games. Right? That's, that's not nothing. I think the I think the uh, that 35 game mark was like early January for like calendar reference. So Ben, despite the fact that this team like has more wins than they did last year, do they, do they feel like a better team, especially like without Cade Cunningham for the foreseeable future? Man, last year must've been dark. (laughs) (laughs) Man, you know, this week, honestly, the grind felt so rough for me. I appreciate your optimism because I it felt like a rough week to me. It's been it's been a roller coaster for me, Laz. I mean, I, I expected this season to be rough, rougher than a lot of people did. You know, I didn't expect this to be the year where the team took off, but I also didn't expect this to be a tank season. And I don't I don't think they're trying to tank. Um, you know, I was expecting a little more out of the kids. I was expecting us to try for 30 wins, but I don't know. This this was a rough week for me. It didn't feel great to me. Um, does it feel better than last season? I don't know, man. Maybe I've just suppressed the darkness <laughs> the of memories. a season ago. <laughs> it doesn't feel great to me, man. Uh, but I don't know. Interestingly, they, they are a little better right now than they started. If you look at some of the object, objective measures, they're no longer the worst team in the NBA by net rating like they might be by 
record. I didn't look at how everything shook out by the end of the day yesterday. Uh, Record-wise, I know they were at one point earlier in the week. The Spurs are now the worst team in the league by net rating, which is hilarious to me. They're the only team in the NBA with a a double-digit negative net rating. Pistons have climbed out of that particular awful metric. They are now chasing Charlotte, who might, might surpass them. Chasing Houston, Pistons are now negative 7.1 net rating. They were down at like negative 11, I think, at one point. Yeah. So they've 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 gotten a little better as far as that goes. Not as many huge blowouts, which helps a lot. Um, so they're 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 making little tiny baby steps. Um, but man, they it took them till 35 games to win seven. Wow, that's awful. So maybe I shouldn't feel so bad, but I don't know. I kind of felt rough this week. It was ugly. It was, it felt, it felt ugly. Maybe it felt ugly. Cause we're going to talk about Jaden Ivy. I was mm-hmm. really focused on watching Jaden Ivy. He had a rough week and, and maybe that's why it felt kind of ugly to me this week. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, the Pistons are the, these, they're still the worst team in the NBA by record, but that is because they have played more games than yeah. Houston. Yeah. So they are seven and 21. Orlando's seven and twenty, Charlotte's seven and nineteen, Houston is seven and eighteen. So uh, they're ahead in the loss standings, basically. Um, I don't know, Ben. I the the win this week in Miami was like very unexpected. Also, kind of like a schedule loss for Miami. They rested Jimmy Butler. Um, their their lack of depth like really showed itself. Uh, but like a a competitive game against a New Orleans team that is now, I believe first and at the top yeah at the top of the western uh conference standings it's like that that was pretty good uh memphis is just a much much better team than detroit and mm-hmm. they lost to them pretty badly twice and so i don't know i i i didn't feel nearly as bad and i think the schedule is about to ease up a little bit from a uh from an opponent strength perspective and so like that that has me a little bit more encouraged than uh, you were feeling this week, but you were, if you were watching Jaden Ivy very closely, you did have a lot of reason to be negative this week. <laughs> Jaden Ivy sat, he sat down the stretch of that close loss against new Orleans. They played Kojo over him. People were not happy about that. He played, uh, he played over Killian down the stretch of the second uh, fake blowout loss to Memphis. Uh, like the way he's played this week, I, I'm, I, it, it's hard for me to like really contest um, him playing down the stretch of him playing or not playing down the stretch of a close game. Um, since he's returned from his knee strain tweak, whatever you want to call it, um, it's been five games. He's averaging eleven point six points, three point four rebounds, three point four assists, and he's shooting thirty three percent from the floor, twenty seven percent from three. And 65% from the line. He's averaging four free throws a game and he's up to 3.6 turnovers a game. For, for comparison, before he got injured, which was a 19 game sample, he's averaging 16 points, five rebounds, and four assists. He's shooting 42% from the floor and 32% from three and 74% from the line. He's averaging four, like four and a half free throws a game. And the turnovers were like down by a full turnover. He's averaging 2.6 turnovers a game. So, Ben, like, in these five games since the knee injury, what what has stood out to you about why Jade Nivey has not been performing as well? What what has it like looked like to you? 
Yeah, this has been his worst stretch. Uh, this week in particular was really pro, uh, really poor. I think this has been his worst stretch as a pro. Um, you know, Bryce from Motor City Hoops of DBB has a nice piece and a, a short video up on his YouTube channel that was featured in that piece. And, uh, you know, Bryce's argument is that Jaden really needs to work on his mid-range game. I think I dissent from that a little bit. Um, to me, I think what I noticed in particular, Bryce's argument is sort of contingent on the fact that teams have really respected, at least up to this point, have really respected Jaden's ability to shoot the three. So they've really closed out hard, and that's allowed Jaden to use his speed and athleticism to get all the way to the rim. And big men have sort of been willing to contest Jaden at about 15 to 17 feet. So they've respected his ability to do something, at least at the mid-range. I think what I noted this week is that teams were not doing either of those things. So they left him pretty much open or at most semi-contested. As a result, Jaden took a lot of threes, um, 19 total threes, 45% of his attempts this week, just this week, were three-point shots. He only made five, five of 19. So teams did not really challenge him at the three-point line. They didn't run him off the three-point line, at least. They just let him shoot, and he shot poorly. Uh, and then I think the thing I noticed is when he did attack the rim, they just aggressively backpedaled. And he took some very awkward floaters in the paint from 12, 13, 14 feet. And that's a tough shot. A floater from that far away is tough. He doesn't have an effective pull-up jumper. So shooting a floater just just doesn't work. That's evident in the numbers. His two-point shooting was was as bad as his three-point shooting. Um, and then I, I think also some just really poor turnovers. He got lost in the air. He left his feet to pass a number of times, just got completely lost. Um, I'm thinking of the second, just egregious turnovers. The second Memphis game coming out of halftime, turned the ball over right under the basket and led to a layup. And uh, I I completely disagree with people who think he should not have been benched late in games. I think Casey had to try to win games or play Jaden Ivey. It, it was mutually exclusive. Jaden wasn't shooting the ball well. He was making poor decisions, and he was turning the ball over. I don't think he was defending well either. He was gambling. The gambles weren't paying off. He was losing uh, himself in rotations. He wasn't rotating well, so he wasn't defending well either. I, I, I feel like this week he, he was poor at literally every part of the game of basketball. Um, so I, I don't think he deserved minutes, uh, in, in close games. And again, I was, I was watching pretty closely. I, I was really pretty focused on him. So I, I think he, he pretty much had his, his worst week as a pro. The way I would say it is, you know, his first stretch before he went down with injury, I think we were seeing a very mature and developed Jaden, it was like, that's kind of what I expected in years two and year three. And then what we've seen in the last little bit, what, four or five games since he's come back, rookie Jaden Ivy, right? Like, not quite rookie wall. He doesn't, like you mentioned, Les, it doesn't look like he's favoring his knee or anything. Like, it doesn't look hurt. But I feel like teams have really adjusted. The scout is out. Let him shoot semi-contest the shot, but don't run him off the three-point line. And then when he gets into the paint, just backpedal hard and force him into a floater. And then I think also, too, Laz, I don't know, tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but I feel like teams have done a good job contesting him at the rim without following him 
and he hasn't done a great job of adapting to that either. So I, I feel like he's got some real learning to do. He needs to go watch some of his own tape and, and uh, figure out how to adjust. And um, yeah, he, he struggled. He struggled mightily. And I, I think he deserved some of those minutes on the bench. His minutes were also way down from where they've been. Mm-hmm. Average about 26 minutes a game this week, which again, I think is what he earned because his play wasn't solid. Yeah. I think the one of the later points you mentioned is something that really stood out to me this week is like the the scout is now out on Jaden Ivey and because he is a starter because he is a secondary primary like semi-primary ball handler for this team um and now he has a fairly uh fairly detailed like defensive scout out on him he's playing into it instead of trying to adjust his game to it. And it's, it is causing the issues we are seeing this week. I felt like I'm glad you put a number on how many uh, three point attempts he had this week and how, how big a percentage of his shots were threes this week. It did feel to me like he was settling very often for threes and you want him to, you want him to take open looks. You want him to take catch and shoot threes because it does you know, allegedly bring the defense out, right? Like make them close out hard, give him uh, something to attack and to go downhill. But if he's going to shoot 27% from three, like teams are just going to let him shoot as many open looks as he wants. Um, I think like now that the scout is out, it is Bryce put out the the video, like you mentioned, he talked about the mid range game. I do think the floater is really important because the floater allows them, allows him to beat the deep drop, right? If guys are going to just sit under the rim or backpedal all the way to, you know, under the charge circle and let him go. It's like, he needs something to attack that like eight to 12 foot area he needs. Uh, and that's like, that's where the floater comes in. That's where like a, a stop and uh, fire pull-up shot will come in, but something to attack the area where the defense is like willing to give him shots. And that's, that's closer to the rim. That's not threes. Um, His free throws were actually up this week. And so I do think there was a little bit of him deciding like, okay, like I'm going to mash the turbo button and I'm going to get into the lane. And uh, you, you mentioned you, you thought defenses were doing a better job contesting him at the rim. Like that may be true, but he's still, he was getting at the line at a slightly higher rate as well. And I do think that as long as he continues to attack the rim aggressively, like he will grab or he will draw like a, a good number of free throws that way is interesting to me that he was shooting 65% from the line. It's like, just if he's shooting poorly from everywhere, like maybe that's a, maybe that's a mechanical thing. Maybe that's a focus thing. Um, but His I, mechanics I, are rough. Yeah, I don't expect him to shoot, you know, under 70% from the line for the for an extended stretch, though. And so, yeah, we'll we'll see. The, the turnovers part was interesting. We saw some open on-court frustration from his teammates this week yeah, with, we did. with his turnovers. Yeah. Um, I wonder how that plays in, in the locker room. He does have a really... Uh, interesting for a guy who's unstoppable in transition he has this really weird habit of like no look passing to guys running on the wing with him and it's like if you just like go up and finish or like you could get fouled or uh or like you know take a contest over a backpedaling guard or something like i'd i'd rather you do that than like try like a no look pass to isaiah stewart who is also thinking like you're just going to go up with it um so yeah i i wonder how that's playing uh 
this this has been an extremely a rough week for Jaden Ivey. Like you mentioned, this is more of what uh, we expected for him in his rookie year. But like with that said, the the strengths are still there and the weaknesses are are still there as well. But there's still a lot, a really a lot of uh, choice, or there's really a lot of game to build on here with Jaden Ivey. Um, last thing I'll say is uh, on the dunker on the dunker spot uh, this past week, they talked about all the rookies. They had a an, an extended uh section on Jade Nivey and that that made me want to take like a closer look at at him uh, for this week. So shout out to Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr. and a friend of the podcast, Mark Schindler, uh for that section on Jade Nivey. I enjoyed that a lot and I would encourage people to go check that out. So so Ben from one rookie to another, uh Jalen Duran had a little bit better of a week this week than, than Jade Nivey. He finally entered the starting lineup against Memphis. That was the first start of what we hope are many starts in his Detroit Pistons career. Uh, what did you think of that adjustment and did he play to your expectations as a starter, Ben? Well, finally, right? I mean, yeah, um, yeah this is obviously the future. There's literally nothing to lose. <laughs> so go for it. I mean, what, what, what's there to lose? Why not? Um, I think there were definitely moments in that starting game against Memphis where defensively they felt his presence as just being able to elevate and get in the way. I think there were also moments where defensively the rest of the team got lost behind him that they're going to have to learn. I think Isaiah Stewart as the four maybe got a little bit lost. There were so many lobs behind Duran. I don't know if you noticed this, but it, I felt like Duran did fine, like in the pick and roll, but then guys behind him got lost. I'm not sure if that was directly because of Stu being the four and not being exactly sure how to rotate instead of being the five, like being directly engaged in the pick and roll, but and then instead being the four, like just not being sure where to go and getting lost. But I felt like there was a, just a, there were way too many lobs against Memphis, and I'm not sure if that was directly because of Duran or indirectly because of Stu. But, I mean, you can't be upset about the double-double and the the man-child dunks <laughs> and, you know, just as, as the youngest player in the league um, asserting himself as a starter. Um, I feel like he's earned it every time he's given big minutes. I don't, I don't think you can point to a game where he, like, he hasn't stepped up to the moment. I mean, maybe he's had some underwhelming performance, but he doesn't ever get completely outshadowed, I don't think. So why not, right? And then I think you you give Stu the chance to try at the four, which we haven't really done yet. And the fact that he shot the ball well for the consistent stretch here maybe gives you the rationale and the excuse to try it for the first time. So, yeah, I mean... Duran is the future at center. Might as well give it a go. We've seen one game. Let let's see some more. Let's see how this goes. Yeah, i i was I was very uh, happy about seeing this. I thought it was going to take Dwayne Casey until like February to get here. <laughs> yeah. So being being a month early is great, right? Or two months early is great. Um, I did notice the the lobs. I did notice the the lack of communication behind Duran. I think some of that might be him. Uh, there was one, there was one lob where you could see like after the play, like Killian, like pointing, like, Hey, like you were supposed to tell the help, like what to do kind of and Jalen being like, Oh yeah. Like 
my bad. Like, I, uh, yeah. So you, you can see a little bit of the communication and he's having to, he is the youngest player in the league and he's going to have to walk and chew gum at the same time. He's going to have to play defense and think about how the other four guys behind him are playing defense. Um, and that's going to, that's going to be an adjustment period, but you're right, Ben. I'm happy that this is happening sooner rather than later. Um, you mentioned, I think a big part of why they feel comfortable doing this now is the play of Isaiah Stewart. We are going to talk about Isaiah Stewart uh, later. Um, and like you mentioned, this is this is clearly something that they want to look at. And so I'm, I'm happy they're seeing it sooner uh, rather than later. I also think, I think Memphis is a really good team and he will probably look better defensively against teams that are not as good as Memphis, right? Uh, they play like Charlotte later this week. Charlotte has a dearth of quality bigs. Like I, I feel comfortable that like Jalen Dury will, will be able to figure some stuff out as the level of competition drops. Um, the other thing I'll say is he played really well in uh, the new Orleans game as well for, for nice stretches there. He was one of the few dudes who was, physical enough to give Zion any trouble. And uh, like that was really noticeable because Zion's one of the like strongest, quickest guys in the league. And like Jalen Duren, Jalen Duren didn't stop him to be clear, right? Like <laughs> nobody stopped Zion, but he made him work more than, uh, you know, Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bay did. So I just thought that was noticeable. That was, that was big. Uh, that popped for me with, with Jalen Duren this week. So Ben, with Jalen Duran going to start to the starting lineup, obviously that means Marvin Bagley has been moved to the bench. I personally think this is the right role for Marvin Bagley, and he should thrive in this role. We saw him perform pretty well in the first quarter of the Memphis game. What are your what are you thinking about long term for Marvin Bagley coming off the bench, Ben? Yeah, I mean, Laz, I'm kind of meh on Bagley just as a whole. I'm looking forward to hearing you persuade me why I should be more excited about Bagley just generally. <laughs> I think the the one sort of the one sort of question mark I have here just just in general and I, I, I agree I don't think he's a starting caliber player so I think putting him on the bench is fine but the the one just general question mark here I is you know I, I feel like you bring Marvin Marvin Bagley back to the team on the three year deal because he's giving you this vertical lob threat for Cade. Cade's obviously not in the lineup right now, but you have this nice stretch of games, 17, 18 games, whatever it was. And Cade and Bagley thrive in this short stretch of time. Cade's scoring percentage goes up. Bagley has these really great scoring numbers on the interior when they're both playing together. So you bring Bagley back and then you move him to the bench and Presumably, then Caden Bagley aren't playing together. Now, obviously, Duran replaces some of that in the starting lineup, presumably. And if you're going to bring Killian back to the bench when Cade gets healthy, which presumably you're also going to do, then you have that same sort of threat for Killian, which is good. And you're also, you know, a bench unit can always benefit from having a scoring and rebounding big, which. Bagley has rebounded well this year, which I haven't given him enough credit for. He's rebounded better this year than he did a season ago. So that is also good for your bench unit. But I, I don't know. I guess I just feel sort of meh on Bagley just in general. And so I feel sort of meh about talking about him. But uh, <laughs> maybe I'm just Debbie Downer today. Maybe you can win me over. 
So this is Marvin's the wrong person to ask me to lift you up about. I feel bad because <laughs> like I feel like I crap on Marvin a lot because he's just like not the type of big man I gravitate towards. And like it's not his fault, right? It took me a long time to warm up to Christian Wood, right? And Christian Wood is built in the same mold as like a, a mainly offense yeah, yeah. uh lob threat big man. Um and that ended up fine. Um yeah, I think he's I, he's been good in his role uh so far this season. We talked about him last week uh improving the numbers off the bench uh, or improving the numbers um production-wise and efficiency-wise uh since his return from injury. Um the reason I think he'll be better off the bench is just because he is a really gifted um athlete and really talented scorer for a big man Uh, he had a really nice play against uh santi aldama in the first quarter of the uh, memphis game of the second memphis game where he just like faced him up uh like jab step took him baseline finished with like a reverse dunk and that's the type of thing you you won't see him do against other starting level bigs but he can definitely do to other NBA bench bigs, and which is why I think he'll have a lot of success in that bench role for this Pistons team. Um, I also noted his increased uh, defensive activity against Memphis. I don't know if – I don't really think it had any actual impact on you know Memphis's ability to score, but he definitely looked engaged and uh, aggressive defensively on on the defensive end of the floor in a way that he uh has not at certain times this uh this year he was real bad in the miami game for example um and that's why he didn't play i think most of the second half of the miami game um i would not be surprised if Dwayne casey was like yeah you can start again if you play better defense just like kind of dangle the carrot in front of him and so i hope that uh a renewed level of focus is the new norm for Marvin, but we shall see about that. But yeah, I mean, if Cade's not coming back anytime soon and the guards for the bench unit are going to be, you know, Alec Burks, who we are big fans of, and Corey Joseph, who we are <laughs> less big fans of. And he's been a playing. piston. That's about he, as much as I'm going to say. He's been playing a lot like lately too. Is like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this, but, uh, but yeah, if those are going to be the guards that they go with, um, you're going to need an interior score like Bagley and as part of that bench lineup. And so I'm eager to see how that plays out. The other thing I'll say is we're going to talk about Sadiq like right after this. I'm interested, see, I'm interested to see how Sadiq and Marvin coexist. Two guys who both need the ball in their hands to have success. Two guys who are not like super amazing passers. Two guys who we wish were much, much better defensively. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that pairing works off the bench. Sadiq Bay, Sadiq Bay roll check. He made five threes against Memphis, and then he made three threes in the other four or other other three games this week. Uh, but he also averaged 18 points and six and a half free throws off the bench this week. Ben, I feel like I do this every every week, and I'm like, what's up with Sadiq Bay? But I, at this point, to me, it's easier to categorize Sadiq's play if I just like erase his rookie year from my mind, right? Like he, whoever that dude was in his rookie year, like he's not that player anymore. So what kind of player is he? So what kind of player is he right now to you, Ben? Yeah, I think that's helpful, Les. I haven't thought of doing it that way before, but I think you're right. Like you just have to take him for the guy he is in his second and third year right now. 
and work from there. And I, oh, I don't like saying this, but I think probably he's a bench scorer right now. Like, I think that's what he, what he is. Um, and yeah, I mean, some of it's kind of the magic of sample sizes. Like he, he took 25 free throws this week, which sounds nice, but you know, 12 of them were against Memphis first game on the fourth, right? So half of those, like you talked about his threes. I'll talk about his free throws. He averaged six and a half or just about six and a half free throw attempts a game, which sounds great for a four game average, but when half of them are in one game, right? Like it, it, that's how averages work. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's starting to look like an off the bench, like give him the ball, let him ISO a little bit. He'll get to the free throw line some games and then, you know, he'll go off five for 10 from three once every four games, I guess. You know, defensively, this has been still a little bit of a puzzler to me. I'm not sure who he defends anymore. I don't know. Does he defend threes? Does he defend fours? No, no, I don't know. No, I guess. <laughs> Does he defend? Does Question he defend? I, and that, like, as a rookie, I felt like that was how he was going to, like, make his make his money. I thought he was going to be the 3 and D guy, and you're right. I think you just kind of have to chuck that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's an off-the-bench sort of bucket-getter bucket kind of guy, and he, he manages to cobble it together in sort of not the prettiest ways all the time, but he's he's managing to figure out how to do it in surprisingly efficient ways even if the three-point shooting isn't getting it done which it hasn't been so so yeah Sadiq I mean managing to have some nice games even if they're not always pretty I think is the best way I can say it this Sadiq is a big case study in how big free throws can be for efficiency yeah yeah. I think about how like Killian's efficiency is still in the toilet (laughs) Uh, despite the fact that he's been playing better because he never ever gets to the line and that is a big way you score easy points um yeah Sadiq Sadiq is just uh, a kind of like ground bound uh scorer he's like uh discount DeMar DeRozan at this (laughs) point but like uh but with the capability to shoot five of ten from three like like we mentioned which is like that sound that's a valuable player but you're right in that I'm not entirely sure that that is a starting level player anymore, which puts Sadiq in like a really interesting position. Um, the defense has not been great. The defense has made me aware of just like how much work Jeremy Grant was doing last season to make Sadiq Bey look better uh, on that defense, on that end than he actually was. Um, I do think that there could be some real strides as a defender if um, he was just able to, I don't know, if he was able to be a little bit more physical, if he was not so worried about getting out-athlete, out-athleted, out-athleticismed, I don't know. If he was just worried (laughs) about, like, not, if he was less worried about uh, guys being bigger, stronger, faster than him, and and just, like, well, more, more, more faster than bigger, stronger, he's pretty strong. Um, he's more if he's more willing to just like put his forearm on guys and like stop them, but uh, hand checking is bad. So thanks NBA. Um, yeah, I've been I've been I've been interested to see where Sadiq kind of ends up as a future like role in this team. Like as we talked about the two big lineup with Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart, 
Um, we talked about we talked about like the backcourt of the future being, you know, Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. Uh, like who that who that fifth person is between those two groupings. It's like it, we thought it was going to be Sadiq Bay, um, and if it's not, it's like it, it's going to be interesting to see like what type of player because they they need they need a version of Sadiq that we thought he was right. They need a floor spacing um, like all NBA level defender guy, like in that spot. And while Sadiq offered the floor spacing, but not the defense, like we thought he could get there defensively. That's, that's been an issue. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see like where, where Sadiq ends up uh, like ceiling wise for sure. The other thing I'll say about Sadiq, uh, Jasper uh, Apollonia, Apollonia, sorry, sorry, Jasper. He had a really good piece on Sadiq Bay for Palace of Pistons this week. Um, I know we're not supposed to shout out the competition, but I enjoyed that piece very much. And so uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you should check out that piece. Uh, shout out to Jasper. Um, all right, Ben, I think it's time. I think it's time. We should talk about the best Pistons player this week, and that was Isaiah Stewart. Um, <laughs> Isaiah Stewart, no, he just looks much more complete offensively. Ben, he's shooting 37% from three on four attempts a game. That's blowing away are like 33% over-under from the beginning of the season on a lot more attempts than I was expecting to see at this point, uh, at any point during this season. Um, he's, he's getting to the point where like he had something to say to Bam Adebayo after Bam Adebayo didn't close out on him in the corner and he knocked <laughs> down a corner three, right? That's he's hilarious. Like, he's, he's the key to making the two big lineup work, and he's averaging you know 12 points in – eight point he's almost averaging nine rebounds a game um ben like yeah isaiah stewart is still only 21 like that i i feel i feel like a fool for uh ever doubting isaiah stewart's uh capability to to improve yeah i mean i was there a few weeks ago too right really questioning where where he was at offensively you know i'm, I'm thinking back to at some point in his rookie season i had a take about him that I thought myself crazy for having at various points in his career. I thought he could maybe become the the best player of the group of players the Pistons drafted that season. I might be crazy for saying that. I might be crazy for any number of reasons. <laughs> that take may age like spoiled milk. <laughs> He's still young enough to make me look silly. But I don't know, man, the way Sadiq's career trajectory has gone, that take might end up proving itself to be true, right? I mean, he's about two years younger than Sadiq at 21 years old as a big man shooting 37% from three. Looks like it might be real, right? Like, um, you know, a guy who could average a double-double while shooting 37, 38% from three, like that, and play adequate team defense at the four, which also might be a thing like in spot minutes anyway maybe not full-time but in spot minutes and can like, also kind of function as your backup five if right you like to. is he a starting caliber player like still a question mark but a rotation caliber guy at two positions who can shoot the three ball like that's that's valuable is he going to develop anything off the dribble that's still a question mark but again still 21 he he had a couple really awkward travels he had a couple really awkward takes off the dribble but he also had a couple finishes off the dribble so like that is still very much a work in progress and it looks like there's enough foot speed that he might be able to put like a little something together there where if you close on him quickly 
he might be able to do something at least competent and not be completely useless off the dribble. So, yeah, man, I mean, I'm I'm interested and intrigued, and I hope they at least stick with this too big experiment with Stu at the four long enough for us to get a sense of, like, is there a there there, right? Like, is there mm-hmm. a potential future here? So, so, yeah, I'm happy for Stu. I'm glad to see him uh, feeling confident enough to talk some smack. Like, that's exciting. Like, I, I'm, I'm feeling happy for him. That, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. The the shooting is like the really the big piece that makes the two big lineup work. In in that stretch of the New Orleans game where um the Pistons were running like stack pick and roll over and over and over again and getting good looks out of it um because like Killian's just reading the help, but a big part of that is because like guys are willing to leave Stu open and like he's just going to keep punishing them. It's crazy how we talked a little bit earlier about how the scout is now out on Jaden Ivey. Like teams are still just like not willing to guard Isaiah Stewart on the perimeter and he's making them pay. He's making them pay in a way that I like did not expect. I did not expect we'd see this year. Right. I thought like maybe this would be a thing like down the line. Right. But, but not, uh, not so far this season. Um, the thing I think is interesting. We are seeing like some, uh, attack some of those closeouts, get a little bit downhill. Footwork is still a little funky. You're right to point out like he's traveled a couple times on those. But what's been interesting to me, Ben, is if he doesn't travel and he gets like a, a little guy who's rotating like up uh, and help after the closeout, he can turn that into a post-up. And his post-ups have always been uh, very like not aesthetically pleasing, but somewhat effective. And I think that's an interesting way to get some shots around the rim for the Pistons. I like I like Isaiah Stewart like posting up a smaller guy. He's just so big and physical that guys aren't going to want to guard him in the post. And if nothing else, like he's going to attack the offensive glass. Duran is going to attack the offensive glass, um, and you can you know generate extra possessions that way. I think that'll be interesting to see um, as he, if he turns like you know closeouts into post ups. I think that's an interesting like wrinkle. Um, he also had like this is not something I expect to see a lot of, but he had a really nice pass off a, a t- closeout attack to Jaden Ivy. Ivy flubbed the layup, like you know, <laughs> not 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 trying to dig on Ivy right now. It's like, but it wasn't an assist. That's why you like can't find it. But like it was it was a really nice like read for Stu. And so it was like if Stewart is now all of a sudden this like six eight dude who can shoot thirty seven percent from three at volume and play effective defense and be a rebounder and who can like map the floor like that is a really interesting player that is a player who's going to be um a like potential starter for like a very long time and the type of uh the type of like winning player i hate to like winning in quotation marks right like guy who does the little things uh like Every team needs a guy like him type mm-hmm. of type of player. Um, but usually, like you say that about guys who like aren't actually that good. But like, no, like I think Isaiah Stewart's really good. And he just has the the potential to, to do more. Um, Stu's play, I think, has been so good that they can finally lean into the two big lineup early. And I think that's like another side benefit of this is like, all right, we like Stu's been so good offensively. We don't have to worry about Marvin Bagley having to carry the offense from like the big man perspective. Um, so, yeah, it's just it was a really good week for Isaiah Stewart. I hope it keeps up. Um, he's he's been playing really well. And he, again, 
I feel like I've said this twice, but he's still only 21, right? There's there's so much room for his game to grow um, in the next like three, four years. I'm, I'm excited to see where it leads. Because if you think, again, you think about where he was at his rookie year and where he is now, like if you would have told me he'd be, you know, taking guys off the dribble and shooting 37% from three, I'd look yeah. at you like you had three heads. That's so, big progress. It really yeah, is. It's, it's definitely huge. All right, Ben. So normally I ask you like what's on your mind and you just like you put some you put some really interesting stuff out there and I'm like, huh, Ben made me think. And then I go to the sheet today and you just got like six bullet points and I'm like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> so Ben, what, what's on your mind this week? Laz, this this is what you inspired. This is what you inspired <laughs> last week. So last week you talked about Troy Weaver doing an excellent job bringing veterans onto the roster to sort of supplement the young kids. And that got me thinking and it got me thinking about Burks and Boyan. Right. And I don't think I realize, and I'm, I'm pretty sure other people are not realizing this either, but those two guys are not just supplementing the kids. These two dudes are carrying, they're piggybacking the offense right now. I think people realize Boyan is because he's playing such big minutes and he's like, scoring at an absurd level but Burks is actually just balling out a ridiculous amount from the bench as well and I think the only reason people don't realize this because his minutes are lower so I just wanted to read off some pretty nuts stats and I looked at this per 100 possessions and my conclusion is going to be sort of two sides of a coin. So per, per 100 possessions, the reason I talk about this for those who don't care about stats, this adjusts for pace and minutes played, right? So I want to talk about these two dudes from the perspective of pace and minutes played. So Burks, if you look at it from this perspective, is actually the Pistons leading scorer per 100 possessions, 32 and a half points a game. Bogey's right behind him, just under 32. Burks actually leads in free throw attempted and Bogey is second. So these guys leading the team in scoring, leading the team in free throws attempted, and then not coincidentally, also leading in three-point percentage, bogey at 43, uh, Burks just a shade under 39. So efficient three-point shooters, getting to the line all the time, and uh, scoring the ball a whole bunch. And what's also crazy interesting to me, even in the context of this super dysfunctional uh, offense and really defense and crazy situation as a whole they're managing to score the ball very efficiently and i think this speaks to sort of being in the league for a long time being very savvy cagey veterans um cade actually leads the team in field goal attempts per 100 possessions at 27 but burks and bogey are right right behind them burks at 23 and bogey at 21.2 but they're doing it at just an a crazy efficient rate so this is this is bonkers to me. Bogey's true shooting percentage is at like 65%, which is nuts. I mean, this is just crazy high. And then Burks leads all of the guards at just a shade under 59. So these two guys, in the context of this horrible offense, very bad defense, managing to score at a crazy high rate. And I think you can credit that to knowing how to get to the free throw line, which they do very very well i i think it was the new orleans broadcast team who said about burks like good things happen when you just take the ball and run into defenders <laughs> and i think that's exactly right and then they're both great three-point shooters so um to their credit 
I, I want to praise these two veterans. They're thrown into a situation which they probably did not expect as 30-something-year-olds on a very bad team, one of the worst in the NBA. They've managed to be professionals and literally piggyback the offense. Bogey as a starter. Burks in a crowded, young backcourt, playing a lot less minutes, but being incredibly productive off the bench. And I think what Bogey does for the starters, Burks is doing for the bench. So now to the conclusions. Um, next time I get in my soapbox <laughs> about some of the young guys, um, you know, efficiency, three-point percentage, getting to the line, true shooting percentage, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the common pieces of pushback I get is that, oh, it's because the roster is crappy or it's because they're so young or the roster is deficient or whatever. Like, I think we have guys like Bogey and Burks that we can point to. These guys have never been known as like offensive juggernauts, never been known as great ball handlers, never been known as slashers, but uh, they're great examples. And I, I think veterans who are young players can learn from. And I think they're also examples of like, this is how you can be a really crazy efficient scorer even in the context of a bad situation, you get to the free throw line and you, you throw your body into the defenders in smart ways. You put your body into a good angle, into a good situation against the defender. You get to the line a lot and you make open threes and uh, good shooters who know how to draw fouls um, can still, can still in, in the context of a bad situation be, be crazy efficient. So, so Jaden Ivy. Cade Cunningham, Killian Hayes, you three dudes, watch Alec Burks. Because all three of those dudes have many, many more skills, tools, talents, etc. than Alec Burks does. Maybe not as shooters, but as ball handlers, as as attackers, as uh, slashers. I think all three of those guys have more skills than Burks does. So I, I think they need to to learn a lot from what Alec Burks is doing because it, it's pretty phenomenal. So, so that, I think, is the good thing. The... The maybe flip side of the coin, the closing thought here that I think is a little bit maybe more concerning to me. Um, if you're a rebuilding team, you're young, you're developing the restoring team, right? Restoring the team is the, the franchise word for what we're going through right now. Maybe you want to be asking yourself right now what it means that your offense is being carried by two 30-something veterans who aren't part of the team's future right now. And I think that's true for the starting lineup and the bench. And I think Bagley probably deserves some of that credit as well, although he might be here for, for a little bit more of the long term. Um, it's, it's a little worrying to me that those two guys are such huge part of the offense and we don't see a little more from some of the young guys because clearly Bogey and, and Burks aren't going to be here forever, right? We don't, we don't want them to be either right so um it's good that they're here now because they're they've been a big part of the win so for example if you look at the miami win they had 42 percent of the pistons points right those two guys won the miami game right the only win the pistons had was because those two guys showed up um so the downside is one of those guys goes down with an injury which is very possible they're both old vets like, what does that mean for a rebuilding team? Is that is that where you want to be? Wouldn't you want one of your young guys, like, in the top two of one of those categories? We haven't seen that yet. So I think 
um, you know, I think that means some things for Weaver about like, okay, who, who are some of our foundational pieces? And may, maybe we need to, to look critically at some of that. So that's what's on my mind, Laz. These two vets deserve a tremendous amount of credit. But at the same time, I think that maybe makes you ask some uncomfortable questions about the, the quality of some of these guys who maybe you've thought are foundational. Is it premature to ask that? I don't know, but that's kind of what I've been asking over the course of this week. What does it mean that our young guys haven't leaped into some of the scoring vacancies, et cetera, that, that these, these vets have been able to fill? So yeah, that, that, that's my rant for this week, Les. I like that. I, I think about two things in response to that. I think about, again, like free throws, and I think about um, skill sets. So free throws, this is just, to me, this is a huge example of how if you learn how to draw free throws in the NBA, it's like that's, that alone, that skill alone can sustain an offense in a way that, you know, being a 45% shooter from three cannot because, uh, you know, you you will pretty much always shoot what you're going to shoot from the free throw line, but guys go through hot and cold stretches from three all the time. Three pointers are really, really difficult. Um, teams are, you know, able to run you off the line or attack that three point shooting ability in a way that uh, it's more difficult to scheme for. Like this guy draws fouls, like don't right. foul this guy. Right. So th- I think about just the, the power of free throws and how they can like buoy a team's efficiency. Um, and in saying that, right, like we talked about like Killian, Killian does not draw free throws, does not, is not going to the rim right now is finding success in the mid range and from three. But, uh, like again, his efficiency is bad because he's not shooting enough free throws. We talked about Jaden Ivy who gets to the line is getting to the line more often than he was prior to the injury, but shooting poorly from the free throw line, right? So you need to both be able to get there and shoot well from the line. I think Burks and Boyan are both like over like 85% from the line on the season. Um, and so you need to, you need to be accurate in addition to, to drawing the free throws. Um, and that was, that was a big critique we had of Cade as well, right? Like Cade's game has not so far translated to drawing free throws, even though there have been a lot of times like, you know, last season and early on in this season where we're pointing and being like, Hey, like he got fouled. Like that is a normal uh, NBA foul call that he's not drawing. So uh, that is one thing that I think the young guys need to learn from these old vets is like the art of the grift. Throw your body into <laughs> like dudes, it. right? Like learn the rip through, right? Like do what you have to do to score points. It is what it is. Um, and then your second point uh, about, you know, is it bad or is it yeah, not? Is it bad? But like, what do we make of these two vets carrying the offense? Um, well, A, Cade's out. I expect True. Cade would have something to say about this if, if he were yep. playing. And B, I think that this, in terms of like skill sets, this shows the type of skill sets that you always want to have present on this team, even when they're good uh, in the future, right? A, a playoff version of this team still wants a guy who's able to you know, space the floor in the way Boyan does and able to attack defenses like off pin downs, off uh, off curls, uh, a guy who you can set like uh, off ball screens for, a movement shooter, um, 
like this this offense needs that apparently to just have like an extra dimension to throw at teams and so if you know you're looking for a boyan replacement or you're you know trading boyan away or whatever the case may be it's like you can't just like plug in that spot with um a guy who's not going to diversify the offense in the way boyan does right um and I think that's really important. That's a really important lesson to have as you like build the starting lineup. Again, we talked about, you know, the Cade and Jay Ivey being the back court and Sidi or uh, sorry, Stu and Duran being the front court and like who's that guy in the middle? It's like you need a you need a 40% shooter um who's uh able to like bend the defense in a little in a in a little way um at that at that fifth starter spot. And then Burks was like I like Alec Burks. I think Alec Burks is performing really well for this team. Burks is just like a bucket getter. You can find some bucket getters, right? Like Burks only makes like $10 million. Um, New York didn't want him. It's like you can find other guys who get buckets off the bench that teams like don't want. Um, you can find, you can find, maybe you can't find like a Jordan Clarkson, but uh, you could definitely find like a campaign somewhere, right? You could find a, um, who am I thinking of? Uh, you can find like a, an Aaron Holiday somewhere you can find um just a guy a guy who makes a lot of pull-up threes and gets fouled a decent amount like you you can find those guys and uh burks is not a uh like the skill set is important but it's also common enough that i think that like even when this team is going to be good you can still find a way to like get that that type of guy on this team and so as you move forward you can keep that in mind like hey we need we need a bucket getter bench guy like because uh, Killian's default like mode is still like you know distribute even as he's become more effective as a scorer it's like he's still you know looking to distribute first and so we we do kind of need this bucket getter guy uh, next to him off the bench for sure um, so that's those are my thoughts in response to those but I like I like the credit of the vets we do not I like I've acknowledged that we don't talk about the vets enough on this podcast because they're so solid and because like, you know, they are what they are and they're not developing. They're not, uh, they're just, they're just playing really well. And, uh, the interesting thing about this team is like, you know, the ebbs and flows of the young guys, not necessarily like the steadiness of the vets, but I think it's a good thing that we talk about them for sure. All right, Ben, the Pistons play the Lakers, the suddenly resurgent Los Angeles Lakers, uh, later tonight, Anthony Davis has been on a tear. I don't know if he's going to, I think he's. I think he's going to play. Uh, both both he and LeBron played in the Philly game, so I think they're going to play. Um, and then they play Charlotte Wednesday. Uh, Charlotte no longer the like house of horrors team they've been for the Pistons in the past. Um, <laughs> they have a home. They have. Oh yeah, God. Okay, yeah, you're right. I totally jinxed it. They have a home game versus the Kings on Friday, and then they have a home game versus the Nets on Sunday. So I, I, how do you feel again about like one win, one close loss and two blowouts, Ben? Is that, <laughs> it's like, that, that's, that's the week I'm hoping for. So let's say Charlotte, right? I mean, I think I'm too, I think I'm two for the last two, right? I think so, like, yeah. You called the Miami game. I called the Miami game. Who was the win the week before that? Dallas. Yeah. I called the Dallas team because they were the Sadiq Bay trade rumors. Okay. So let's just say Charlotte. Let's say you didn't jinx it. Let's go with, let's go with the obvious one this time. All right, I I like it. I like it. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna continue being wrong, <laughs> and I'm gonna say they uh, they take the Lakers win tonight. Ooh, okay. I would love that. I mean, I would because I hate the Lakers. They played the Lakers close uh, last game. LeBron didn't play in the last game, 
but the Lakers looked uh they won that Philly game, but like that was just two teams who like did not want to win a game, just like handing the game to one another. It was a very strange game. Um yeah. All right, Ben. This has been a this has been a good episode. I'm uh I'm always pleased when I open up the Google Doc and I see like Ben's got a lot of thoughts. It's like it's gonna be a good episode. Uh let the people know where they can hear more of your thoughts, where uh where they can find uh what you're what you're noodling on as the piston season in, in, unfolds in front of you. Well, I appreciate that, Les. I always enjoy talking with you. You make the you make this crazy experience that is being a Detroit Pistons fan uh, bearable on a weekly basis. The podcast and the Detroit Pistons community at Detroit Bad Boys has been a lifeboat since 2008, 2009 for me. And boy, it has been an experience since then. I always tell people, I wish... The internet knew me when the Pistons were good because (laughs) I I was not always a grumpy, surly, critical old man. I used to talk so much crap about the Pistons when they were good. But uh, yeah, I've stayed off Twitter the last couple weeks and I have found that my mental health has been better. So you can hear me on the podcast right now. You can talk to me on the podcast. The podcast threads, always on the podcast threads. When I watch live, which I did not do this week because of life getting in the way, you will find me in the game threads and not on Twitter because I find that is much more enjoyable. So that that's where you'll find me, DetroitBadBoys.com, and not on Twitter. So I'm not even giving my handle. That's, that's where you'll find me, Ben Golker right. on DetroitBadBoys.com. I like it. We're shunting people to the site like the podcast is supposed to, I suppose. <laughs> uh, of course uh i'm i'm taking more notes during the games are uh, like checking more box scores uh trying to keep track of my thoughts in a way that will make for productive podcast conversations and so i have also been like just tweeting less during the games um that has also been good for my mental uh and so but you can still yell at me about the podcast on twitter that's the best place to yell at me uh at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you all next week. I don't have like a formalized Christmas schedule yet. We'll figure it out. I'll bring the microphone with me, but uh, (laughs) we'll, we'll do some stuff. All right. Talk to you guys later.